0: The Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. Welcome to the after show for our dead pilot, The End. Ah, this week I got to talk to one of my favorite people in show business, Lindsay Shockley. I hope you all had a chance to listen to the table read of The End, did you? Do you know what happened to Uncle Jake? If you listened, you know what I'm talking about. It's an amazing moment. As you're about to hear, Lindsay and I go back pretty far, back to her start in the TV business. I play a a bigger part in this one than I usually do in writer's origin stories, I have to admit. Such a fun conversation. I could have talked to her for hours. You'll get answers to some of the mysterious questions in the pilot. Uh, There's some great stuff here. For all of you fans of Blackish, where Lindsay spent seven years on the writing staff, I loved hearing about how Kenya Barris put together and ran that room. Oh, there's lots more. This is great. Hey, I usually say this at the end, but if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about us. A quick uh, positive review on Apple Podcasts would really help people find us, too. That would be amazing. All right. Here is my interview with my friend, Lindsay Shockley.
1: If you want to make ends meet in a hip town, the kind with great coffee, lots of dog parks, you're gonna need a side hustle. In Brooklyn, maybe you drive rideshare. In Fairhaven, it's more like... Well, it's more like slaying psychic beasts with your custom-balanced throwing knives. Hey, are you from Hunter? Uh, I guess so. Hold on, I have to ask you some stuff. Are you hurt? No. Do you feel yourself developing strange powers? I mean, I saw a ghost once. Okay, I'm going to put down no. Okay. So, you're having some sort of monster issue. Oh, um, it's like a pod, I guess? Um, here it is. Is is that what you call it? Like, like a pod? Yeah, pod works.
0: Oh, it's opening!
1: Morgan leaps back and positions the metal spear she's been carrying on her back. She points it towards the bug, which swipes the spear away just as an electrical bolt fires from the tip. It hits the gate to a petting zoo and a bunch of baby goats come streaming out. Can we just take a moment to appreciate how cute this is? It's great. I hope someone's filming it. Oh my God. I just love baby goats. <laughs> Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble.
0: So Lindsay, um, I am thinking, I'm so excited to do this because it's always, it's great to see you. Some of these things I do, and I don't really know the writers. I happen to know you quite well. Um, Thank you so much I, for
2: having me. This is so exciting for me too. Yeah. Oh my oh, gosh. It's, so nice. it,
0: it's so funny to think like we were going to, we were trying to get together and like have lunch or go for a walk or something in like January of 2020. Uh-huh. And then it was like, took a while. And late February, we're like, I don't know. There sounds like there's this thing going around and maybe, and we thought we, we would
2: wait like three weeks and instead we waited like nine months and then we zoomed <laughs>
0: and, and we were we like zoomed. we
2: could have zoomed at any point in this yeah. time yeah we realized it was not that hard yes um, but the, the walk
0: <laughs> and the lunch are now like two years uh delayed yeah. but we get to do this we got to um uh, you know we got to read this great script which um i just you know we're, we're now we're doing this a couple weeks after we did the read but i just listened to it again uh and the, and was just laughing out loud in my car, which I don't uh, do all that often. Really, that's so nice. But
2: that's so, I mean, the cast you put together for this was like a dream come true.
0: They they were good, and I have lots of I have lots of questions about the about the pilot. But what I think, what I often do is kind of start and just get a little bit of your writing history. It's a little weird in this case because I I am a character in this story
2: big character M- maybe a main character like
0: <laughs> no i mean not the protagonist but certainly recurring
2: number two on the call sheet maybe <laughs> yeah, if they maybe. were doing <laughs> <laughs> yes you absolutely are yeah a huge part of my origin story i mean i tell everybody when i talk about you i say andrew changed my life i would not be a writer without andrew right oh. that is that is how oh. i introduce you to people in my life um <laughs> just know that's true it's just that's- true
0: that's very nice, because I guess for me, I could start the story, which is that my my mom, my dear departed mother, called me and was just like, "Hey, this kid, my mom was a science teacher, she's like this former student of mine moved out to l a and he does he wants to like me, would you have lunch and I was just like, Oh sure, okay, you know, and I happened to meet Steve Adele, who was like this great you know I, you know just charming young guy who seemed like He, you know, was smart and was headed places, and he had written a screenplay based on one of my favorite, like, survival books, Wreck of the Medusa. Um, And so we had a nice lunch and just in touch, and he said, oh, yeah, my girlfriend, by the way, is, like, looking for a writer's assistant job and wants to break into TV writing. And then I was, and then now you can take over. And
2: yes. And so, yes, on my end, uh, so Steve came home and he was like, oh my gosh, had the best coffee with Andrew. He's so nice. I can't believe he agreed to meet with me. And he was like, and I mentioned that like you've graduated from USC and you're looking to be a writer's assistant. And Andrew said he might know a showrunner who's doing a pilot that doesn't have a writer's assistant. And uh, then I just got really excited. And then you were nice enough, I believe, I think to maybe bring me into interview i think for the writer's assistant gig on welcome to the captain right you were running it with john hamburg um and i was so green i remember being so nervous i remember like asking all my friends what does a writer's assistant do Uh (laughs) And everyone told me kind of different versions of it. Like you take notes in the room, but also you get lunches and also you need to be discreet because people are going to talk about stuff in a writer's room and you got to keep it a secret. That's a big part of the job too. And I was like, great. I love keeping secrets. Um, And (laughs) then I remember the first question I think you and Ted and John asked me in the interview was, do you know what a writer's assistant does? (laughs) (laughs) Cause I was so green. I had, I had PA'd and I had, I had done, you know, internships and stuff, but I'd never been a writer's assistant. I'm fresh out of grad school. And so I think I just, uh, did my very best in the interview. I think I made you guys laugh. And I think maybe that helped because I don't think I had perfect answers. I think I did say, I know you take a lot of notes and I don't think I mentioned the keeping secrets, but I, I think I did say I'm a quick study and I will figure it out on the fly. Some version of that. Um, cause I think you even threw me a curveball of, can you do movie magic and final draft? And I had to pretend like I knew what movie magic was.
0: God, which, and now again, no one knows what movie magic is. I think it was at that time where everyone was sort of migrating to final draft, but maybe John Hamburg still wrote on movie magic yes, and so you he, did. he didn't want to change. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. So we, yes. So I did learn both and I can say I held up my promise that I was a quick study. I did a good job at the job and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: you were great. Yeah. I mean, I think I... Didn't want to be the one, because I had brought you in, so I wanted to sort of like stay in your, So you got the job, like John and Ted were, were fully on board. It wasn't like me pushing it, that you were great in that meeting.
2: Oh, that's so nice. Um, but yeah, and that uh, job completely, yeah, changed my life. Like it was the, it was the, one of the best jobs still to this day I've ever had. Like every day I felt like was going to Disneyland, um, working <laughs> in that writer's show. Um, it was was super fun it was a cool show that show should have still yeah the writer's strike you know yeah the writer's strike
0: I mean for for the listeners who are just like what the heck is this show (laughs) (laughs) it was done in by the writer's strike I mean we we had to walk away after one day of shooting all of the writers left and they and we had written four scripts that were table read and, and rewritten and ready to go and they just shot those four Episodes with, you know, Jeffrey Tambor and Raquel Welch. And,
2: yeah, and Fran uh, Kranz and, yeah, I mean, it was...
0: Yeah, Al Madrigal. And it yeah. was, um and Joanna Garcia Swisher. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, it was an awesome it, cast. It yeah. was a
0: great cast and it was a fun show. And they made those four episodes and they put them out and that was that. And no one, like, remembers it at all. But it was really fun. Um, that just, sadly, was killed by... Writer strike, so you had gotten that. So I
2: gotten that. You you
0: had done that, and then was, and then there was, there were more. Yeah, you came on to to worst week too for a bit, right? Or no? Did you? I did did
2: not. But I think what you're thinking of is romantically challenged. Oh right,
0: God, I'm getting my yes, romantically challenged,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, which. I don't know how it happened on your end, but I got an email from a friend of mine, Amy Jones, who was a writer's assistant on a next door show to wrote Romantically Challenged. And the two writer's assistants on your show, I think, might have been working very long hours and weekends at the time. And I believe what I heard was you were looking for a third writer's assistant to relieve people in the mornings or late at night and kind of be the a uh, little pinch hitter or something. So that, that was the email I got. And then I think I emailed you maybe saying, if you're looking for anyone, <laughs> um, I think I was coming off of being a writer's assistant um, for Lexi Young on United States of Terra, which was an awesome Showtime show with Tony Collette. Um, and I think I was on hiatus from that show and looking for a job as you do. And yeah, I was really lucky to get to interview for Romantically Challenged and <laughs> and, talk- and Ricky Blitz. Um, and you and Ted were running that one, and yeah, I I don't remember the interview as well as I do for Welcome to the Captain. I'm, I'm thinking of, do I have any delightful anecdotes from that interview? I don't remember.
0: Yeah, I think we were just so excited about it. It was such an insane show. We were like, okay, Lindsay will be here, that'll, that'll be helpful. Yeah.
2: I remember was... you guys had not slept. You had been working like seven days a week, I think, for quite a while. Yeah. You guys were yeah. in it. I think you were at episode four or something. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Total insanity <laughs> on that show. Um, Alyssa Milano. Um, yeah. You know, lead Kyle Bornheimer. Kyle was, Bornheimer. You
2: know,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, another one people probably don't really remember. Okay. So now you've had a few writer's assistant jobs at this yes. point.
2: And then I finally got really brave. And I remember uh, there was one moment in the room where everyone was searching for a joke. And I was a writer's assistant. And I remember being told, like, never pitch anything unless you know it's great. And it'll make people laugh and only do it if people are stuck and there's like dead silence. (laughs) I think I took a shot. I cannot remember the joke I pitched, but you guys liked it. It got a laugh and it went into the script. And then I think maybe when we wrapped, I had the balls to ask you to read a spec script of mine. And yeah. I said, I know you're really busy in post, boss. Uh, <laughs> but do you have time to read a half-hour comedy sample? Um, and you were so nice enough to read it. And it was a multicam, somewhat about my parents. Um, <laughs> and for a while, we took in kind of a, a family friend who was kind of down on his luck, and he became kind of like my second dad for a while. And so it was kind of about uh, that moment in our life. And I, I think you read it and liked it enough. I don't know if you remember this far. I think you emailed your agent
0: about yeah, it. Yeah, I sent it to, to Nancy To Nancy Josephson, Josephson.
2: Yeah. Um who, yeah, who was cool enough to bring me into WME. And I met with her and Alec Botnick and Teresa Kang. And I couldn't believe it. They asked, can we read everything else you've written? And I had seven other scripts. So I sent, <laughs> <laughs> so I sent them eight pieces of material. I believe they said they read all of them. Who knows? Um, and they said, we want to like keep you in our ba- Is it back pocket. Is that the term? I should know this mm-hmm. term. Yep. <laughs> and or hip
0: or hit pocket sometimes. Hip pocket. Hip pocket, yeah.
2: I knew I didn't have it. <laughs> right. uh, and I was a writer's assistant for Scott Silvery and John Pollock at the time on the pilot called Perfect Couples. And they were really awesome, and they got picked up to series. And I believe you, perhaps, maybe, uh, put in Cole a nice Scott. word for me, <laughs> and that's how I got my first staff writing job. Was yeah, I was interviewing to be a staff writer on their show. Um, and, and perfect couples, which was like a dream come true. So yeah, you're a big character in the story. Now looking back, there's like three yeah. big moments. I mean, you might be number one on the call sheet. I might be <laughs> number two. Um, but yeah, uh, so so you changed yeah. my life. You you. I mean, you did. Well, look.
0: I mean, it was obviously I was onto something because it's like you've you've gone on to do quite well. So it was uh, you know I just if anything. I was good at recognizing talent. Um, but those moments, right? When you think back to like that first joke, yes. getting in, there's yes. nothing like that, right? It's just so thrilling. So um,
2: thrilling. So thrilling. And yes.
0: And it's, you know, as much as we like to say, oh, I still get that feeling every time. It's like, no, you've, you've now written a million jokes that have gone into a billion different scripts. And it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's another, it's another line. But those first, like that first joke, that first job, absolutely
2: uh, you don't forget those moments i mean you don't i think there was a moment even it wasn't, didn't go in the script but there was a moment where ricky lost a tooth in the writer's yeah, room
1: yeah
2: and i remember making a joke that we think we're people we pretend we're people we're just animals that are just losing teeth all the time or something i said something like that um and i remember like pamela rib pam ribbon
0: Pam-ribbon, yeah ribbon
2: i remember her saying like that's so funny that you think we're people pretending to be people and i was like but we but we are we're just like <laughs> these animals walking around wearing clothes, but like our teeth just fall out, and like we're just decomposing like as we go, like we're pretending we're these civilized, i don't know high class humans, but <laughs> we're really just bodies with hair and teeth. <laughs>
0: Well, the insane thing about that story, I don't know if you remember this, was it was like, people were like, oh, put it in milk, you know, And yes. but it was a crown.
2: That's right. <laughs> that's right. I remember getting the red Solo cup to put it in the yeah. milk and we were Googling, like, how long do you have for a, teeth, a tooth to die or survive? And it was like, you have five hours. We have to get him into the dentist.
0: <laughs> but it wasn't a tooth. It was a crown. Was whole, it's just That's just such an example of the insanity of, of <laughs> what happened on that show. <laughs> Um,
2: Everyone was tired. It's not their fault. We thought yeah. it was a tooth. It was a crown. <laughs> uh, gasp, those first moments. You always yeah, you, yeah.
0: Yeah, people are listening to me. They 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 you know, I contributed. Like I'm part of this, I'm part of making television. You
2: said something to me I still remember, which is you said, I think you're ready to not be behind that computer anymore. Cause that was kind of where the writer's assistants were. You were behind this like computer, not at the table. And I think you said something like that to me and that like shook me. Like that felt like really Electric of like oh my gosh someone thinks I'm ready or I I can contribute, um yeah I always remember no, that
0: again oh. proven right so okay so so there w- we there's so many shows that you've you've worked on so we could just hit like we could quickly so from perfect couples yeah you could It's like what Ben and Kate
2: yes Ben and Kate are we just skipping over when I work for you um, oh I think, w-
0: was I think that I, were... I thought that was after or was that before. <laughs>
2: I think it was before oh think, maybe okay it was perfect yes. couples uh work it
0: work it okay
2: ben and kate hello ladies trophy wife benched blackish Mixedish.
0: okay so i don't i don't think so um Okay. So yeah, I mean we could we could talk about work it for you know this whole this uh, for, for I agree. Hours. We could
2: spiral off a whole other podcast just about work it if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah.
0: And I have talked about that experience on the show, which was but but I guess having someone who wrote on the show, you can probably at least testify that working on the show was a fun experience. It was
2: so fun. <laughs> and we got to do all twelve in a bubble because we were a mid season show, so we got to write a whole season with no sort of like ratings or the pressure or changes from from like audience feedback like it was it was so fun the audience loved it like it was it was a happy room it was a very very like productive functional yes it was a cast of characters in that room but in a great way like i think that's what made the show really it was a really funny show and everyone got along and the cast was lovely It was like a great place to go to work every day and write. It was not a grind. It was never, I'm serious. Like, I mean, I would tell you if it was horrible, I would say we were all secretly miserable. No, but it was like a joy. It was like a delightful place to work every day. And because it was such a fun, outrageous concept, like you got to just think about being funny. And and I don't know, some shows, you don't get to think about that. You have to think about premise and grounded and heart, and I don't know and those things are great too but I think it's also nice when you actually are just trying to make people laugh Um, yeah it's
0: a real lesson kind of like you never know based on the success of of the show what the working experience is like and people don't I think often don't realize that they think it must be the most fun to, always, to work on the most successful shows. And that's there's really no correlation. So Work It, obviously, is a show that, to the extent people know about it, they know about it as this huge failure that you know, was pulled after two episodes and had all this controversy. And, um, oh, that must have been, like, what a terrible experience. But the fact is, we it felt making that show with our live tapings that we were making a hit. Like the, uh, the live audiences went insane.
2: Insane. I remember we, (laughs) not just laughs. we would get, Ooh, like, and I feel like that's when you really know people are invested in the story. Like when we would have a reveal you would get the like, Ooh, I can't believe they said that moment. And like, that's real, like real audience reaction in real time. And yeah. And just like ginormous laughs. Yeah, it did. And I feel like real friendships came out of that show. Like I feel like I'm still very close with everyone in that room. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it
0: was it was it was a great group, yeah. and it's mm. like it's the it's the rarest show. Like it just like <laughs> you just try and just try and see it anywhere. Like <laughs> it has been it. erased from the from the historical record. So let's skip ahead because we do need to talk about your pilot at some point. But let's talk about like Blackish a bit, okay. you know. So I mean, yeah. you, you know, because all these shows you're working on, Hello Ladies and Trophy Wife, these are like I feel like there's a lot of quality shows that maybe aren't super long. Lived shows,
2: yeah, but yeah.
0: are critically well received and smart, funny shows. So you've been working on like really good shows.
2: Yeah. Um, for like, but none of
0: them yeah, had been, made it to a season two?
2: Never. Right? I was on, I think, seven season ones in a row. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that I think was a blessing because it taught me like this is how it goes. Um and and then when I was so fortunate to be staffed on Blackish, get it uh yeah, season one was was so incredible. I I never thought for a second we would get a season two. Is that true? Uh, yeah the whole, all I along, just, really? I just thought, well, this is just as fun as other shows I've worked on, and this is just just feels really special and this cast is incredible. Um and then then I was thinking, well. But yeah, but Stephen Merchant was really great in Hello Ladies. And that only got season one. Um, and Mullen Ackerman and Bradley Whitford they were and, Ma- and Michaela Watkins, they were great on Trophy Wife. And that only got a season one. So I was like, okay, this is going to be another great one season of these amazing actors. With Lawrence Fishburne and Anthony Anderson, and Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, and then I couldn't have been more wrong. I, mean, I every, And then every single season, I was so shocked that we were coming back. Like. E- even like season, season three was just as big of what, like getting the call. <laughs> and they were like, Shockley, you got to At some point, you gotta like, wake up like this is going. Um, cause I, yeah, I just that had never been my experience. I kind of just thought TV was very like, uh, yeah, you're just every six months, you're just on a new thing. Um, yeah. So I mean, Black has changed my life in, in so, so, so many ways. Uh, and it started all with a FaceTime interview with Kenya Barris, who he was at Upfronts. He did not want to interview me, uh, which he told me at the beginning of the interview, which was a great way to start an interview. (laughs) Because I think he was getting pressure because I'd worked on three ABC Studios shows in a row. uh, And so the studio really liked me. And I think I was like a studio. Hey, like maybe consider Lindsay. She's nice. Um, And he was like, I don't know. Who is that? And so he said that. That's how we started our FaceTime. He was like, I'm in New York for upfronts. It was amazing. He had, he was in his bed. Uh, and then he told me this amazing story about how he was out all night and drinking and partying. And um, and and then he was like, yeah, and then everyone's telling me you're great. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, well, I can try to prove it to you, I guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not going to tell you I'm great. I'm just going to try and <laughs> Tell you how much I liked your script. And so then we started talking about his script and we started talking about our families and we realized we had a lot in common. Um, and I can't believe this even came up on the FaceTime, but we both, we both lost siblings early in our lives. And that came up on the, on the call and we started talking about that. Um, and I was somehow able to talk about our tragedies in a funny way. And I think that's maybe how I got the job because I was able to make him laugh, even though we were talking about these really... life changing events that happened to us early on. Um, but yeah, but then I got a call like 10 minutes later, like you're hired. So, uh, yeah, I can't, can't believe that that's how we started our relationship. Now he's like my big brother. Like I can't imagine, uh, yeah, like life without him. It's so weird. We're like family now. Because um, that's how many family.
0: years of working with them now?
2: Um, seven, I want to say. Yes, seven years. Um, which is, yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone at Blackish feels like family. It's really hard to think about. There's almost like a pre Blackish life and then like a, a post Blackish life because everyone just became so, so, so close on that show.
0: And do you think that's partly a function of the kinds of, conversations that you had to have to make that show in the room?
2: I think a thousand percent because season one it, very early on, like I think day one of our jobs, like Kenya in an awesome way said like, this is going to be a show about what everyone is talking about in the privacy of their own homes, like with their husbands, with their wives, with their mom and dads, the things that like we would never say out loud or like, like just be too afraid to. He was like, I want us to say it. To each other here and it has to be a safe space where we can actually talk about it because we were going to tackle race every week and you know i don't think there was really a show at that time on broadcast tv (laughs) that was that was going to talk about race in america um and kenya's you know vision was he's like i don't want to do what a lot of shows about black families do where they just happen to be black he's like i'm so tired of that narrative this show is about a family who's absolutely black and the black experience in america is so different than the white experience i never want it to be the show about we are the same he's like this is a show about how we are different and that's like and and every every day i think the next day day two was we went around the room and he asked us if we'd been spanked because we were going to do a <laughs> spanking episode so everyone because there was a lot of you know we did a lot of parenting episodes and family episodes. And, um, anyway, so you got to know people really fast when everyone had to raise (laughs) their hand um, and say, do you, and then it was also, do you spank your own child? And so there were lots of us, I was one of the, yes, I was spanked, but I don't spank my own child. And that became an episode of like, that was Anthony Anderson's kind of journey of like, he was spanked as a child and does he want to spank his own children now? And what are the pros and cons and why do our parents do it? And why don't we do it? And, um, Yeah, so it was a show where you had to get really comfortable really fast. Um, And yeah, and also be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And yeah, so I think uh, it was hard to describe, just like a really, but like really beautiful, all coming from a place of trying to tell stories that hadn't really been told before and I think Kenya would always say like the specific speaks to the universal. Like he would want this this family to not just feel like any other family, but he would want it to also feel like anyone could sit down, and watch the show, and see characters from their lives in this family. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, and, you, and it's funny to think even from our perspective now, where a lot of us, not everyone, you know, but has gone to like DEI meetings at school or whatever. We, we've just, you know, certainly post George Floyd, like we're a little bit more used to talking about race. It's still super uncomfortable. And obviously it's so uncomfortable that people are trying to ban even talking about it in school. But seven years ago, it was even more so we're still for white people. I think we're still in this way. of it was just like, Oh, I don't see color or whatever. Just trying to avoid talking right. about it. It was, it was the most uncomfortable thing, you know, better to talk about your sex life intimately than to talk about race. or And yes. so, <laughs> yeah. To be in that room and to, to have it be, and to be a white writer in that room and just to like, but to have it really, that he made it really a safe space and that you all could like, it's a beautiful, it's an amazing thing. It's like.
2: It is, it is. Like that he took a chance on a white girl is crazy. I mean, we just think about the history of white girls. They have <laughs> yeah. not been great yeah. to the black community. Like, and I always would talk like that joke. I would say that joke. Like, and we would talk about like, you have no reason to trust me. Like he was like, yeah, I don't trust you. <laughs> I was like, you have no reason to. History does not present itself well for white women, yeah. yeah. Um, and white, so liberal women, right? Yeah. And uh, and and so I was like, but it's up to me to earn your trust, you know. And so and and I remember those first few weeks, like m- feeling so white and like feeling your whiteness, but in a way, like exactly what you're saying, which is like I think white people need to sit in their own whiteness sometimes and feel that discomfort of like you are a part of a group that's done huge harm to the black community. Um, and whether that was you personally or not, but at some point, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't get to say, oh, that wasn't me, because the harm happened and you're you happen to have that skin color. You happen to be a part of this dominant group. Um, and on the show not to like talk out of school. But there were writers who could sit in that discomfort of like what white people have done, and then there were writers who couldn't. And that was very interesting to watch, I would say. Um, Yeah, the the levels of fragility. The levels of fragility, yes. And Kenya, I will say, in addition to whiteness, he went out of his way to like hire Republicans. He's not a Republican, like gun owners. Like he, he went out of his way to hire people very different from him. And I haven't really seen that many showrunners kind of run their room that way. Um, and so he, yeah, I, I think his ability to kind of say, I want a lot of different points of view, um, like voiced in this room, ones that he does not disagree, like he doesn't agree with. Uh, I thought that was always a very like generous, uh, thing to do because when you're telling it's so autobiographical, his show in so many ways, but then you're allowing people who have very different values than you to even speak on it and to come up with jokes. It just felt like, oh, that's a, that's a really generous person that's like able to yeah, to step outside themselves and say, "Well, this will make the show funnier if we have all these cr- crazy points yeah. of view. <laughs> like it'll make this, and, and I think it did, because um, people said wild shit."
0: Oh, I'm sure, but th- that they were able to and not worried yeah. about being ostracized for it, or you know, and that everything could be fodder and make the show more real. I mean, I have to say, you know, it's a you know a, a regret I have. You know, so that the pilot script was sent to to Ted and. And mate, you know and um and i read and remember feeling i think i said like this should have a black showrunner like we're not this feels weird for us and then when i see what jonathan groff was able to do i'm kind of like like well, you know we could have done that like i think it was still maybe it was just oh this seems so scary we're gonna say the wrong thing or not know and and we didn't even take the meeting who knows whether Kenya would have you know hired us anyway but when i look back it was just like oh that was that was sort of prob- really fragile in a way, in a right. way too it was just like sure. i'm so afraid of of this um that you know i'm not even going to like throw my hat in the ring i'm just going to say like no this should, this isn't our place but it's just like you know jonathan being there yeah. as you know a white showrunner with kenya was just like yeah. a huge part of what made that show work yeah so.
2: and there to like amplify and support and i think that's yeah exactly what you're saying which is like it's such a delicate dance because you're out group you know and and you have to know that at all times like the you're not in group and it can make you feel like oh i don't i shouldn't i shouldn't say anything and sometimes you shouldn't <laughs> I think was right. a big thing was sometimes white people need to shut up and listen um a lot of the time that's one of the big headlines i would say about white people in general is like um but yeah but if you can be the type of white person <laughs> who does not want to uh explain to anyone else their own lived experience <laughs> then i think you can be a helpful voice in the room <laughs> um that and if you can be so bold as to pitch uh a very funny slavery joke, like day three that Kenya likes.
0: <laughs> did you? And you did.
2: that? I did. He was looking for a slavery joke. He was like, he's like, I want a slavery joke here, but I want it a way that no one has ever ever talked about slavery before. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, has anyone ever called it four hundred years of non consensual gardening? And he was like, no, <laughs> that's crazy. Let's put them in. And so I think in episode two, our first episode as a staff, I think Anthony says that to Bo, um, to, to Tracy. Uh, and yeah, and he's, <laughs> and Kenya to this day is like, shockly, just coming out here with with a non-consensual gardening, gardening. joke,
0: <laughs> it's a great joke. Oh, uh,
2: you know, so whew, glad glad he liked it. Glad it <laughs> could have yeah, really gone the other way. Yeah, that could have
0: really gone badly. Could
2: have gone badly. That would have been a short run, just week week one and out.
0: <laughs> so okay, um, let's let's talk about this pilot. Okay, um, yeah, you because know, this pilot also has a very long history of lots of different versions and so what the the first because i you know i remember reading the mm-hmm. was it yeah was it a was it written as like a play no it was not but it, it had was, that
2: vibe it totally had it that, had that vibe.
0: vibe right it was very like one one, room. one, one set one yeah room, okay one set. all right so you tell it I just was like, I remember that, but I um.
2: A thousand percent correct, yes. And so I came from theater, so I always think that way when I first start out, is I always try to think about what are just people trapped in a room going to talk about what could be interesting. And so I wrote the original script as a multicam sample in 2011, and it was born out of my first and only panic attack, uh, which just happened to happen when my awesome boyfriend proposed. <laughs> I don't know if those two things are related. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, they're, they're definitely related. It's horrible. So Stevie Dell, as we've talked about, the, ama- the amazing man from the from the coffee, uh, he had this really romantic proposal. We had been together a really long time, like maybe seven years. Um, and I didn't know it until he asked me to marry him, that I was really afraid of marriage um, and really afraid of loving somebody because I knew eventually I would lose him because I've lost a lot of people before Um and it's given me this fear of like, the more you love someone, the harder it's going to be if you lose them. And so I had, I ruined his proposal by having this big panic attack. Um, well, but and how did
0: it manifest? How did that panic attack, <laughs> what were the s- physical
2: symptoms? The physical symptoms were like, he had a really beautiful speech uh, about us and him wanting to spend the rest of his life with me. And, and then when he said, you know, will you marry me? I said, yes, but what if you die? Or what if I die? One of us is gonna have to watch the other one die. Can we talk about that?
0: So romantic, Lindsay.
2: <laughs> I know. And then I kept saying, like, and he said he kept saying, Well, that's not true. And I said, Well, we're not gonna die at the exact same time. That like that only happens with film on the weeds. Like that's not gonna be us. We're not gonna be that lucky that it's gonna <laughs> something's gonna take us out. So the entire night, I think he proposed at like 9 p.m. We talked until the panic attack was a lot of crying and sobbing and stuff. But in between, it was also like talking endlessly about end of life plans and what it might be like. Because um, I guess that's where my head went was like, I guess, till death do us part. Like, let's talk about that part when we're going to we're going to part <laughs> like I'm <laughs> up for this part. I'm, I love you. And this is all great. Um and I remember he, we talked around it. My heart was beating so fast. Um, we talked about it a million different ways. And we just kind of ran through all the scenarios, which are all terrible. And at the end of it, uh, he said, so wh- what do you want to do? Do you want to pretend this never happened? And that's when I knew that fear was taking control of my life. And that broke my heart that he said that, do you want to pretend this never happened? Do you want me to pretend I never proposed to you? And we just go back to being boyfriend, girlfriend for seven years. And that's when I knew shockly, okay, this is not healthy. Um, fear is, <laughs> is dictating your huge life decisions. And so I was smart enough in that moment to kind of say, just so you know, I'm terrified, but yes, let's do this. Um, and then I wrote this script, which is about a woman who's meeting her in laws on the same day that zombies take over the world. I wrote it while we were planning our wedding. Um, And I think it helped me get married (laughs) because I kind of had to work through all of my worst case scenarios um, in the script a little bit and kind of come through the other side and realize that marriage is not just about one of you is going to watch the other one die, but it's actually like, who are you holding hands with into the unknown? Like that's what I had to figure out it's about, uh, it's also about love and all the, you know, all that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, so I wrote it while we were about to wrap your show, Work It. And I knew I needed another job and I knew I needed a new multicam sample. And so it, the original version of it kind of t- all took place in one room where this like newly kind of engaged woman uh, is hosting her, in-laws for the first time for christmas and is really nervous and she's like a people pleaser like me wants everyone to like her and um and she has like the perfect storm of a mother-in-law who like can't be pleased and kind of likes to watch this main character like <laughs> kind of twist in the wind <laughs> um and uh I it's steve's mom yes I think Steve's mom and she would even own this I think uh is that she well she is like the undefeated champ of like the backhanded compliment like there's no one that can beat her it's incredible it's a game of chess you don't even know you're playing um and and she I think she would also own that she and Steve have a very interesting dynamic like the she does openly call herself the other woman in our relationship (laughs) (laughs) um and uh (laughs) <laughs> and she does she doesn't anymore but when we were younger whenever she would come visit she would make him do a little bit of a fashion show for her <laughs> and she does refer to him as sexy which I think is such a funny <laughs> word to call your child right
0: because um, it seems so it seems a little pushed when you know the mom and this does it but it's it's real
2: it's super real like at our wedding you know how like some brides and grooms do like a first look where like it's the first time you see her in the dress it's the first time he sees you in his tux we did that moment but our best photo that the photographer got was his mother seeing him like they had their own first look (laughs) look. and it's the best picture i wish i had it on the zoom to like bring it up but there's this beautiful dramatic like she's so like just, just, it looks over the top, but it's completely real that she's just like, there he is, like Prince Charming, my son. <laughs> and so I think accidentally it may feel like I'm, I'm taking away her Prince Charming by marrying him. I don't know where she's getting that from, um, but it may feel like we are <laughs> battling for the love of the same man. And that's always kind of what the pilot was about. It was about this poor man in the middle of these two women. Uh, and, uh, and the end of the world coming, and, and the, <laughs> I think. And in right, that version,
0: yeah. I mean, the, as a, if I remember that version, the zombies were completely off screen the yes. whole time in that, right? It was all, they are seeing it on TV, and there was, like, coming, but there was no one, like, in the house that was, becoming a danger or anything
2: yes not until like the very 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 end so yes the whole thing is about the kind of this family and suddenly the news is saying like you can't go outside and it's kind of about being like trapped with like who who do you end up trapped with like during the apocalypse and how do you deal with your annoying family during like you know the world falling apart and so yeah so most of the the show was about you know cohabitation and not just like surviving but how yeah like (laughs) how do you do you manage these personalities like I, th- I think I thought what was interesting was like what if the world is changing like the world changes but none of these characters change and I think that, like like all of their squabbles and all of their like petty dramas still matter like so much to them, and I always felt like that would that would really happen. I was like, that's how a right. real family would act. Like no one would just immediately be like, "I'm going to go out there and save the world." Um, they'd be like, "No, no, yeah. you guys got it. You guys got it." Um, it's like when
0: Uncle Jake blows his head off and. Yes and uh victoria's just like i told you to fix the stoop and he's just like it was not my do i mean that's their immediate reaction
2: that's their immediate reaction and yes and so in the original one oh my god i'm just realizing this i don't think you know this so in the original script that um, uh one character does become a zombie um it's like a brother-in-law character at the very very end and instead of like killing him they just lock him in a basement and put him on like a dog run <laughs> um <laughs> and uh And what happens is that they decide to, like, keep him alive. He's kind of this, like, no-good cheating guy on, you know, on the main character's sister's husband. Uh, And so when he becomes a zombie, you don't feel bad for him. But then he's going to learn how to become a person by watching the show Friends because it's on (laughs) in the basement. (laughs) And so he watches Friends at the end, and he says his first words, which are, how you doing? Um, And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like a really hopeful moment in the script. Cause it's like, Oh, my <laughs> brother-in-law zombie is going to be okay. He's going to learn how to be a person from TV. <laughs> um, yeah. And so did you ever yeah.
0: sell that version of it?
2: That version of it? No. So that version of it, I never sold that version. That version became like a, a sample that started getting read a lot. Like when I was kind of hustling to get my next job. Um, and for like a hot second, Uh, when my former agent Alec Botnick moved over to CBS there was like a brief moment where it was like maybe we could do this as a CBS multicam that would be so cool because I think that's that was the dream originally it's like I wrote it thinking like this would be a really cool way to do has anyone done a genre multicam on CBS Um, but no but no it's never happened
0: and they still haven't
2: maybe never maybe there's a reason why not
0: we've got a new sponsor and I am so excited Uh, It's something I use all the time and love. It's Kobuz. Kobuz. Q-O-B-U-Z. What is Kobuz? Kobuz offers music streaming and downloads in high-res quality. It's artist-approved sound. It's the highest sound quality available. I have a feeling you might be using another streaming service. You are not getting the sound you deserve. And Kobuz has everything. I mean, it's been, I've tried, it's really hard to stump them. They've got a library of over 70 million tracks. They also have a download store so you can buy your favorite albums to add to your collection, enjoy them forever. Look, music connoisseurs and audiophiles rely on Kobuz for a complete music experience uh they offer they also offer liner notes album reviews artist interviews handpicked playlists exclusive editorial content it's really cool I'm telling you you go to the site it's like going to a cool record store in a way it's not just this like soulless algorithm it's writers and people just like the playlists they they curate and put together and and the articles and the information it's like a great music magazine. And a great way to discover music. Um, look, I'm a music obsessive, and I really uh, I, I love using Cobas. And so you can try Cobas with a one-month free trial at artistapprovedsound.com. That's artistapprovedsound.com. Music lovers, check it out. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This summer, which is uh, just coming to an end, coming to an end, has been rough for all of us because it was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be great, and then it wasn't. And we were dealing when everything was terrible, but it was just when we were told it was gonna be better and that it wasn't. I think that's where a lot of us started to really uh, struggle. Look, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have Life can be stressful It's just, um, for all of us We're just dealing with so much uncertainty uh, it's the, the, the pressure on our relationships has been huge um, I'm hearing it from everyone I know And look, you may not be feeling depressed Maybe just depressed adjacent You know, if your stress is high You could probably use the chance to unload. To unload, to get it out, to talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone who's not going to judge you or take sides on anything. Friends are amazing, but they're not unbiased. And sometimes there's things that they just aren't really equipped to help you with. There's some things you need, you know, that outside person. And you'd be surprised at how much it can help. And better help... Is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy. Just see if it's for you. I mean this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Dead Pilot Society listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/slash deadpilots. So have your first session in under 48 hours Stop feeling terrible Just stop feeling like there's nothing you can do To stop feeling terrible Have your first session in under 48 hours At B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P Dot com Slash dead pilots. So then what's the next version from? Yes. From- so
2: then the one that got developed and the one that we read um, the other day. Uh, let's see the quick version of it. Uh, so it helped me get staffed on Hello Ladies HBO show that Stephen Merchant was in and was running with Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupnitsky. And then I was they read that sample and they liked it enough to meet with me and then liked it enough to staff me. And then they staffed me on another show they were running uh, that Sarah, Sarah Haskins and Emily Halpern created called Trophy Wife. And when that one was wrapped, they came back to me and they said, I always liked that multicam kind of zombie comedy, family comedy with with zombies. Would you want to develop it as a single cam? And I was I had never developed anything before. This was literally my first time. So I, of course, was like, yes. Oh, my gosh. Whatever you want. Um, and so Lee and Jean had the thought of let's go streaming and cable, let's do single cam, and let's really amplify kind of the Walking Dead angle, which was like the hottest show in like 2014 or whatever. So, um, so I was thrilled. So uh, so I said yes, and then we were so lucky that ABC Studios got on board, and we pitched it to both broadcast and cable streaming at the same time it was all like in one week if that makes sense and oh gosh oh my gosh and there's two maybe really fun stories from the pitch week um I don't know if this happens anymore but there was a big decision made that our log line which usually gets a sent ahead of the pitch the studio decided or possibly the pod decided we're going to do a top secret no log line So it's just, do you want to hear this idea? We had attached Mark Webb already to direct. So he had heard the idea. He was attached. So we kind of had like a a bit of a package going in. And we had Lee and Jean who were awesome and they had an awesome pod. And so so people heard the pitch knowing no log line, knowing nothing. So we go to Fox. I remember we like got to Fox. I'm five minutes into like my song and dance. Like I think I've just talked about like my panic attack. I think I've just talked about meeting my mother-in-law. Um, And we had this really cool back in the day when people sat in rooms together, we had a really cool visual that we would like bring like a hard copy, like poster. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a cool photoshopped image of Phil Dunphy and Mitchell Pritchett arguing in a car. And then we had like Photoshop zombies like all around them, like in the back windows and everything. And then underneath it, it just said like zombies are the least of their problems because they don't even notice that the zombies are there. Uh-huh. It was delightful. And so there was a part in the pitch where I do like my first five minutes, my big opening jokes, and then I like pull out the vision board. And so we go to Fox, I pull out the vision board and they go, We gotta stop you. And everyone was like, What? It's like a record scratch moment. And the executives were like, we can't hear you anymore. And we were like, okay. And they were like, we can't tell you anything. We don't want you to say one more word, but we have a show that's kind of like this. I'm so sorry, but you need to leave. And so we literally had our briefcase and our poster board and we were like, okay. Mm. All right. <laughs> And we were like, that top secret logline maybe backfired.
0: Yes, this is why you send the logline. This
2: is why you send the logline. You
0: want it's... your big reveals, but you yes. you don't want to be booted unceremoniously out of the room. You
2: don't, because the title at the time was called "Last Family on Earth." And the show, of course, was Last Man on Earth, the amazing Will Forte show, which is such a great show. They should have kicked us out. I mean, it's great. <laughs> but yes. Yeah,
0: so different. I mean, yes. in a way, like, but I guess, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I can see it.
2: Yeah, I, I can see thought.
0: it. I mean, it's not like there's zombies in that, but I, I, it's sort of mundane people in an extraordinary, or not mundane people, yeah. but people well, in an extraordinary right. situation, Going about and doing ordinary things, and
2: that might, and we and we did, we did open our pitch with a version of like, you know, this is an apocalypse you're going to want to live in. Like, look how fun it's going to (laughs) be. And we we'd always said, and that's kind of Last Man on Earth has that fun sort of, you want to be the last man like on Earth, and like, look how fun it is. Um, Yeah, so I can I can I can see how there's similarities at a pitch level.
0: Yeah, that's a great. Terrible pitch story. I it was
2: love it. So good. <laughs> Our other great terrible pitch story was at Hulu, and uh I don't remember who this person was, but one of the people we were pitching to had like resting, like I hate you phase, and it was like a guy, and he, I remember he was like kind of like you kind of like do that like um but then sometimes he would just have a little like stink face and so I was like I guess I just keep going um and I think I can't remember who it was on our team but some them on our team said should we stop because clearly you're not into this <laughs> or like and the, per- the man said no I-, I actually really like it I have like a ton of questions and he did he had 30 minutes of questions he like really liked it and wanted to talk about it <laughs> his resting listening face was just like, I hate you. (laughs) And
0: such a liability in that job.
2: I know. (laughs) I know. Yeah. So that was wild. And so, uh, yeah I've i love it, was it, that
0: lee, was that lee or Jean who who said that i think or, it was lee
2: i think yeah i mean
0: i love them for doing that I do That's, too. it's like i don't think i would ever have the balls to do it but i've wanted to do it so many times just like can i just stop like <laughs> yeah, should we just
2: go like fox yeah. like they just said when they were done um yeah. <laughs> but then we were super lucky by the end of the week we had a yes from nbc hbo and showtime which uh, that was crazy to me crazy 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 crazy, crazy. um and, and then we were so lucky that we ended up at Showtime. Um, and then we got to, yeah, develop this for, because it was on a different cycle. We've developed it for over a year with Showtime, um, it was, it was, which I did not know was a long time. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> it was all my firsts, all happening at once. Um, and the very other weird, I don't know if people care about this, listening to this podcast, but I was also secretly pregnant when I was pitching. <laughs> I hadn't told anyone, like our family. I hadn't told my boss, Kenya Barris. I just started my blackest job, and I remember I was like, I can just wear baggy clothes and big jackets. Like I got this. Like no one has to know. And I remember telling my belly, like just think slim, just think slim, get through the pitches. <laughs> like no one's gonna buy it from a pregnant lady. Just be cool. Um, and so yeah, I hid my pregnancy for five months um, before and
0: just holding holding that vision board in front of, in front of me. <laughs> totally distract him with his pictures of zombies no one will know
2: exactly <laughs> we thought that would work yeah um in every version of it we always had a, another one of our visuals that i loved and one of our jokes was like we wanted it to be everybody loves raymond but in zombie land but if Raymond was like a bubbly blonde, and all the characters could die, was like a lot of <laughs> so we always had a, a yeah a photo of Raymond being hugged by Doris Roberts and then being attacked by a zombie at the same time, and like which is worse? Um, <laughs> it's um, it's yeah.
0: I mean, Victoria is um, you know there's a lot of. So there's a lot of bad mom characters, not bad Mom, but like you know mom characters with their quirks and whatever and we've we've seen a lot of them and but there's something there's so many great specifics to that to Victoria that I just loved, um and it was you know Amy just playing that part, Amy Hill just oh my gosh, just really. But the, the, oh, there's just that first moment, like, did you soil yourself? Like versus, <laughs> yeah. just the persistence of those the things, the persistence uh, of,
2: her, of her humor yeah. and thinking that Lila doesn't get her humor. I, I <laughs> right. always, yeah, because you're right. She is like kind of an archetype, like this kind of big, larger than life mom. Like everyone knows that mom, and or no, you know, marries into that mom, or and so yeah, she is kind of universal in a way because it does feel like we've seen you know, a million versions of Victoria. Yeah. It got me
0: thinking like, why are moms always so, so terrible? Right. <laughs> so, me, like, they're so, I mean, you, you know, you're a mom, you're, you're, you don't want to be written about that way. Oh my gosh. I think about
2: you... it all the time. Of how much of me is in that character? Like, sadly, like, <laughs> I don't know what happens to you when you become a mom. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah I think the the maybe the unique part that I haven't really seen anywhere else but my own family is kind of the Bates motel like romance that's happening yeah.
0: And, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean it's it's sort of bold how you write Marty too because I feel like he is um, you know, like that moment where you say where he's like, what about my mom like he's he's really participating in this like <laughs> sick relationship with his with his mother and he's not really, you know, standing up, you know, for, for Lila, you know, always the way he should. And there's moments in it where I'm just like, Marty, come, you know, come on. And then, you know, one of my favorite lines is just like, I can't remember exactly, but it was just like, if you weren't so worried about people liking you, you see when someone's trying to love you and, and it just redeems so much, you know, for me, it's just like nothing else. Like he does, he loves her he's a good guy he really does love her but there's there's times where he's just kind of <laughs> like not you feel like is he worthy of 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 her you know and i think it's cool how you let him not be so perfect like he's a very he's a very flawed fiance
2: oh my gosh you're the only person that's ever liked marty i, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that during the development process marty and Walter, uh, Victoria's husband, they both were the two characters that everyone could never find a way to like them, um, and. I think I did so many different versions of Marty. I think I had to take out so much what I loved about Marty. He used to be like super kind of like nerdy and he was into like sci-fi and fantasy. So he was actually like a little bit excited when the zombies came because it's like, oh, they're real. And I always thought that was such a cool character of someone who's not like scared. They're kind of like thrilled. Um, and the Showtime was like, no, um, like why Why would anybody be excited for zombies? And I was like, well, okay. Uh, and so there, there was so... So many notes I think about because there were these two really... I don't know. This is my thought. There were two really strong, like, female roles in the show and there was kind of this battle going on between the two of them and because marty what i thought was so funny is he's caught in the middle of like he wants to be a good son and of course you love your mom you only get the one mom no matter what they're like you still love them and i feel like that's so real to every boyfriend i've ever had and every man i've ever met um you do you just love your mom dearly and then I think it is also so true that you just want your new wife or you know, to get along with this, this person who gave you your life and raised you. And so to me, it always just felt like, but Marty's a really good guy and really good guys love their moms.
0: And maybe that's why I like it because I, you know, because I'm someone who got caught in those same marital, you know, it took me a long time to realize like, you know what, my mom's always going to be my mom. So I shouldn't side with her. <laughs> I like have to side with my wife every time because that that's the that's the more practical relationship. <laughs> totally. inherently.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. We went through that too. It just take, you know it takes a couple of years to, to learn. No, but yeah. Um, oh shoot! But you had a, you had an interesting question about. Um, I just lost it. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I,
0: I, no. I, I, so it makes sense to me that you would have gotten a lot of notes about that about that character oh
2: yes i think that's why (laughs) he ended up having to like work in finance drive a porsche like they just kept like adding like masculinity or like tropes of masculinity to the character trying to like bolster him up um and i think it is why maybe at the end of the show i think he does side with Lila, maybe for a quick second like when the mother-in-law shoots her i I think he says a version of like she's like she's trying to kill me and he's like i hear you both (laughs) both That's
0: not a redemptive (laughs) moment. Maybe that's not. (laughs) It's really not. (laughs) He's even in that moment trying to like play both sides of him. You know, it's like it's it's not that redemptive to me. It's it's just his love, like his true love of of her, is what redeems him. Like he's, you know, um, he's gonna be there through the shit. Like I do feel. Like, he's not going to bail on her.
2: Yeah, I always felt like Lila's the really unlikable one because she has all these fears about commitment and and what life is going to be like with him. And I feel like he's so rock steady of, like, I'm going to love you no matter what. And, like, whatever we're going to face, we're going to face together. I always felt like we have to dig her out of her own hole. Um, And Marty just, to me, felt like he already was just, like, this... Yeah, because he's so pure of heart. Like, he... I think that's why he puts up with his mom so much. I think... because I think when you are pure of heart, you don't see anything as a chess game and you don't see backhanded compliments, you know, backhanded insults, backhanded compliments, whatever they're called. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at giving them. Um, <laughs> I'm good at receiving them. Uh, <laughs> I will smile and nod. Um, but I think when you're so pure of heart, I think you don't see any sort of calculated and I think I don't know that's what I kind of liked about his character but
0: um right he couldn't he can't believe his mom is trying to undermine Lila. like who you know who would do that, would do that, he, that would, he would why? never do it so he doesn't see it
2: exactly yeah
0: yeah and it's the like look, Walter's a wimp a bit but
2: mm-hmm. you know he's
0: also <laughs> he's also a good you know he's a he's a good guy he's just like he's he's wimpy yeah
2: no Walter uh it's Walter has been seven thousand versions. There, there were so many opinions about Walter. I think because in people's minds they were like, well, eventually it's going to be his show, right? Like, I know we're saying it's going to be Victoria's show, but it'll be Walter's show, right? I think because... was kind of the hope of like, because he's the patriarch of the family, and so there was. There was a version of Walter where he was like kind of more beer drinking and football watching, and this was gonna throw him into like a midlife crisis of like, what do I do now with all this endless time on my hands, and I'm stuck with my wife. And and then there was a version where like I think in the version we read that everyone had to be in a love triangle. In the last version, it was like Lila has to kind of have chemistry with Marty's brother, and Victoria has to have chemistry with Walter's brother. <laughs> like these were like.
0: That's where the the shirtless picture of Uncle Jake
2: yes and it was like maybe gabe is really like jake's baby like and we'll find that out there were so many like thoughts about love triangles and making it sexier and it, it's like i just can't write sexy like i don't i don't think sexy i don't live sexy like it's not my brand and you can you can feel it like in the drafts like me trying to like edge it up i know we're, the
0: last with Becky. <laughs> now i'm seeing it all differently when becky like puts his hand on her breast and it's just like let's go fuck in the pantry
2: that's (laughs) my attempt at like that's what cool sexy people would do right
0: (laughs) and nick with her threesome that she's had yes okay oh my gosh
2: (laughs) yes i think even in one version nick has sex with the brother when they go out to get pepto-bismol for i know that (laughs) that was in a draft definitely the last thing we ever turned in it started with a sex scene and it ended with a sex scene i'm not kidding because that was the note it was like edge it up shockley keep edging it up and like and then the big note was we want a big bomb at the end a big twist and i was like i kept saying like isn't the fact that there's a zombie in the house like kind of a big bomb like and they're like another bomb and i think that's why jake like blows his head, blows on, his like, head
0: off that is a good it's a good moment and you know it's like a great that stoop is introduced, and you go so long before it's paid off, and you know it's, it's pretty great. great so that note, I it feel like that was a good note. Um, but <laughs> when the, yeah, when they're at the rest, I it, was just like, they've just had really fun sex. At the,
1: <laughs> the
2: rest That's my attempt of like, this is what Showtime <laughs> airs, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just had really fun sex, and then he's gonna touch her boob, and then she'll touch his butt. <laughs> No, I'm a fifth grader. I mean, I'm really, I really am. Like, I could never work on a show that was about sex. I have nothing to offer. I would have no business pitching story, any sort of anecdotes. Like, oh, man. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Not my strength. It's it's my kryptonite.
1: (laughs) Well, you, you you got it in there. So, t- the, these mysterious
0: hints at the beginning about the, some stores are still open. Disneyland's open. Some people are acting normal. Uh, tell tell me about that stuff.
2: So there, so there's a flash forward at the beginning where you're kind of seeing the promise of like where the series may go, which is you know kind of this uh, post-apocalyptic sort of zombie-ridden land, um, and kind of what we. Pitched and a version of what everyone kind of agreed on, what could be interesting was because the, the Walking Dead was like currently on the air. We know we need to be different in terms of our world building. Like, it can't just be about this group of people that live in the woods and they're trying to find this other group of people that live in a different woods. Like, there has to be some version of like a the apocalypse you want to live in. So the thought was, I believe the rules of the world were going to be this. Which could give us all of the like fun of like you could go to a store, you could do a shopping spree, you could you could just like steal a Ferrari if you wanted because no one was selling cars anymore. So we landed on this version of can we paint a picture of that life can still continue so that we can still kind of have that sitcom feel. So like when they go out into the world, we can still have kind of uh, it can't can't just be about survive be about survival every week because um, I know one of the first episode areas because i think we wrote like a bible we sent with uh with the show at one point so i I think i did like the first 12 episodes um like what the series would be and one of the first episodes was going to be like lila (laughs) marty has never seen lila's real hair and so she has to get to the store basically to get this you know because if you have frizzy hair which i do you have to do a lot of stuff like so people (laughs) don't see your true natural frizzy hair (laughs) and so the first episode was going to be about her like braving the zombies to like go get this like conditioner that would tame her frizz um and uh and then like coming home and the other thing she was supposed to get was like almond milk for Victoria and she forgot because she had to like kill a bunch of zombies like with car keys on her way out and so she like comes from this epic battle and then she forgot the fucking almond milk and that was going to kind of be like episode two um (laughs) so the idea was Zo- I think this is one of the rules of the world zombies weren't going to be able to detect humans around water. So if you were like in the rain, like episode six, I always remember it was going to be the rain episode where it's like pouring out raining, you could do whatever you wanted. So actually like real life would just go back to normal where zombies don't know where you are. They can't smell you. The scent of humans is gone in the rain. So everyone was going to have almost like their old life come back to them in episode six where they could like, what would you do if your old life just returned to you episode? Um, So I think there was a thought, I think they were in Seattle or maybe they're in DC. They were in a rainy part of the world, like twilight. (laughs) I'm realizing very similar to twilight. Um, and that was going to be kind of the aesthetic. It was kind of like when it was misty and rainy, the zombies weren't going to be out so that our people could have just scenes that were about each other and they weren't constantly being attacked um, by.
0: So how does that, so, but Disneyland being open, like how, how is that?
2: Yes. The thought, was, <laughs> the thought was, I mean, it's not explained well, as you can tell. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, if anything is more clear, it was definitely like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure (laughs) it out. Like That's later us problems. Um, I think the thought was, oh, well, people, we always thought about Sean Penn. We were like, Sean Penn, and during Katrina, like he got in a boat and he had a rifle. There's going to be a lot of people like that during this time of zombies. (laughs) There's going to be the Sean Penns that go out and try to save the day. And those people may work for Disney. So that was our thought that like our family, <laughs> like in a world of, without heroes, like our family will never be the heroes, but there will be like other heroes in the backdrop of the world that like they've figured out how to create, like and keep society going and like keep Disneyland running. Cause they are going to have like machetes or heavy artillery and oh they're up for it. So then, it's
0: just protected. There's like a safe passage to be able to go there.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, did you
0: find, so you come up with a sort of metaphor, right? You, what what you're really interested in is.
2: It's like dealing with the demons it, in your life or either like that are internal, like your own fears or, or like sometimes your family is like the demons in your life or the baggage you have coming into a marriage might be your demon. Like, I think that was like the metaphor was kind of when you tie yourself to someone for life, you're going to have to deal with all of your, your monsters in your closet. Um, right. Yeah.
0: And then, but then you find, okay, but now I actually have to deal with, my metaphor is now a big part of the show and comes with its own demands of world building. And because what you're describing is, you know, and comedy writers, we don't do a lot of world building.
2: Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> we try not to do any at all. <laughs> no.
0: And so how was it when you realized like, okay, like all this stuff you're talking about, like I need rules of the zombies and I, they're like... There's gonna be action scene, you know. Lila is now mm-hmm. this badass, badass zombie killer and you're writing part of what you're we're gonna write is Walking Dead, and the other part is domestic is everybody loves Raymond, yes. right?
2: Yeah. Um, yes.
0: Which is the part that you're trained to do.
2: <laughs> yes. Um yes. was
0: it fun or was it just kind of feel like work to have to do the world building zombie rules and all that stuff? It
2: was It was not fun to me. I looked at it as like research. Like I suddenly was like, I have to be steeped in knowledge of every zombie movie TV show that's ever happened and make sure that ours is different. I think that was part of the pressure was... And there's a lot of them. There's (laughs) so much. (laughs) There's so much. Um, And even to... To sell it, a big part of the pitch was: here are the rules of the world and here's how we're going to explain this virus. And and so, even like up front, before we even knew where our home was going to be, all of that kind of had to get sorted out. I think, in a good way, because I think when you're in the genre, audiences do expect there to be like an honoring of the genre, even if you're doing this like crazy genre mashup. I think where it was coming from was, well, audiences are going to get turned off pretty fast if it doesn't feel like this is baked. And so I think it was coming from the spirit of, you know, in success, hopefully this will draw people who have watched a lot of zombie things before, but maybe never in this way. And so that part felt really like a huge pressure on my shoulders because I was like, I could not be more of a novice. Like I am coming in completely cold and I'm learning on the fly of how to honor this huge canon of work, like thousands and thousands of hours of this genre that I just know a little bit about. So that part I'll always felt like the hardest hills to climb. And I think because the world, we weren't going to see it in the pilot really, except for that flash forward, which they wanted to cut later. So in one version, you never see it at all. Mm. There were a lot of, I, I think there was a lot of fear about like, what is the world going to look like after episode one? And so I think whenever you have that kind of fear, I think a lot of cooks get in the kitchen and then it can go lots of different ways. So it was a constantly moving target of um, like amplify the gore was definitely a, a version we went down for a long time and amplify the big set piece at the end. Um, everything kept getting pushed that way. So I never got the note, like, can we do more family character stuff? Like (laughs) it was always, can we do, and And so that was a little scary, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your feeling about that opening now? Like uh, hearing it, did you feel like you're glad that opening is there or it was, you had to serve a note and you had to put it in and like, what do you think?
2: I like the opening in pieces. I, d- I like the part that shows that Lila is going to to battle zombies and kind of grow and change because she is such like a neurotic <laughs> character in in present day. so i I do like the idea that she and I, uh, that she's gonna become this kind of like warrior. And I do think maybe it's interesting like that we're kind of hinting that she's going to get married in the flash forward. I don't know, like, because the very end of it is she puts on like the zombie head over her own, and she enters like a wedding chapel. And in my head, I was thinking like, oh, that's, that's her getting married. So we know she's going to marry maybe Marty, hopefully. Um, And she's gonna, (laughs) Um, and she's gonna have to, oh, that was another rule of the world that you could fake out the zombies by like putting on Zombie flesh. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of figured that. Oh, that's it's so interesting too you just said it, I was like, oh, maybe it like it could be Gabe, right? I don't know if you really thought like yeah it hadn't occurred to me like I'm assuming oh she's marrying Marty, but like, oh maybe it's Gabe.
2: It could be Gabe, um, yeah. I like it for those reasons, but I and I do think the one line I wrote about like the guy giving a blowjob for a Fiji water. For yeah. whatever reason, people adored that. So that always made me feel great. <laughs> I kept it in it's the every like,
0: oh Wait, I wrote a kind of sex kind of thing and people were into it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just like the specificity that you get a Fiji water. Fiji water. Yeah, he's I like, do. I'll give you a blowjob for a Fiji water. It yes. feels like a, I, but yes, no, that was. Since just I great. got to
0: read that line, I, I will say I liked reading that line. It was, it was fun. Um and I like, you know, I like, she's like, sorry, things really, things really on there. Like, but she's just having to saw. Just like um,
2: cutting a tough steak with a plastic knife. Yeah. No, I yeah. feel like it'd be really hard to kill a zombie if you're a polite person. Yeah,
0: to cut some, yeah.
2: Yeah, like you'd feel bad. I thought, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm um, okay with the opening. I think, I don't know. I, I.
0: And I think I and yeah whatever my opinion isn't that important. To this but but I like to, I, I'm generally like I don't always love. Oh, we'll start and and the you know thing yeah. and then we'll go back. It, sometimes it irritates me. Oh obviously. yeah. Like I'd rather just you know you're so clearly trying to trying so desperately to grab my attention from the from the get go and want to just I don't mind taking a little time. Maybe maybe that's not how most people feel. But um, oh no
2: that I got that note. <laughs> that's not how that you are how most people feel like flash words are overused don't do it and we eventually took it out i think in the last draft we took it out um so yeah i think your your point is solid
0: yeah i think it's it's really would just come down to it'd be like okay the zombie stuff is great but i don't want it if it's if it's overwhelming like victoria's digs at lila and Mar- like that's the stuff that's just so great like that's really what's fun in the show is it's just, you know, all those little like elephants are raped and (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) if, if the zombie action, whatever is going to overwhelm that stuff ultimately, then that's a problem because, you know, we can get our zombie fix other places. What's great is like, okay, this is really about these relationships are in the, in this heightened, you know, and how are people going to react? And sometimes they're going to really you know be having to deal with and sometimes they're just going to be saying you were supposed to fix the stoop and they're and that's what's different is like they're still in a comedy in this sort of domestic comedy
2: and i think that's probably what people loved hated about it because i would always be that voice of like but we need to make sure that we're still tracking this like triangle between marty and lila and the mom and the mom needs to still make comments like you're dripping brains on the carpet like like we need those moments and they were like yeah but they're undercutting the tension and i was like Yeah, but I still think that the mother-in-law would be upset that her maybe daughter-in-law is like ruining her favorite towels, like her favorite (laughs) guest towels. And I think that was like a love-hate thing and probably why the pilot didn't go. Because I thought that was really interesting that these characters would still be worried about the small stuff that we're all worried about when zombies aren't in our house. But I think you're right. I think some people felt like... I just want this really cool action set piece with these comedic characters, and I and I don't want to think about the character dynamics right now. I just want to deal with the reality of what would you do when a monster is trying to kill you. Um, so, so it's I, tone, yeah. It's yeah. right. It's it's right. It's, it's,
0: yeah. it's comes down to a question of tone, and tone is often those are the hardest because it's hard to articulate. Other people know, like in a picture, often ask like, so what's the tone? Yes, and yes. God, that's a hard question often to answer, but. Because it means different things, but in this case, I think it comes down to what's the balance between comedy and action. So is is the tone Walking Dead or is the tone Everybody Loves Raymond? And and like how far is it, you know, to to one swinging to one side or the other? And if you're disagreeing about that, then you're just butting heads the whole time. A
2: thousand percent, yeah. And I've done two different like genre mashups since then, and I've realized that is always the battle is like the ratio of. Like buddy comedy to prison break movie, like what is the ratio? Are we are how much sort of uh, how much genre are we doing at one point, and how much is the comedy? And I think you're totally right. There, like everybody's ratio is different, and and yeah. uh,
0: You did. You had that great. You made a great drama pilot called Unit Zero. That was you know just like a a action comedy, and it's you know that genre. It's funny because my daughter, my fourteen-year-old daughter's like a favorite genre. Like her favorite movies are spy yes. and the spy who and the spy who dumped me. Oh my <laughs> gosh! <her> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, she's a taste.
1: Ah. And um, yeah, she loves. She's movies. always
0: looking for that genre, and I like them too. But what I don't like in those movies is when they get too much into their action plot and they're just doing action plot. And I'm like, I don't really care about this. Like,
2: no, right? Just,
0: you're you're never going to be as good as a Bond movie. So stop trying so hard to be that and do the comedy thing right but it's hard right. to
2: it's really hard to navigate and I, I remember when they passed on unit zero one of the notes was is too funny <laughs> <laughs> they were like this got bigger laughs than some of our half hours so it just doesn't make sense <laughs> um yeah I'm really proud of it, it I mean I um, it it has real laughs and you real. I think you do really care about the characters but to your point um Yeah. I think when you're playing in a new world or like, I think what is so remarkable about spy and the spy who dumped me, I think both of them, like they, they do play in the world and you are waiting for those moments. Like Melissa McCarthy, like falling over on the moped is like one of the most adorable moments that she just can't get her balance. Like to me, I'm like, that's my favorite scene. And that's like, 10 seconds like and and I think comedy writers I don't know for me it's like those little moments in in unit zero I still remember there was like a character who couldn't believe she was in the field and using some like some tech gear that like went in her eye and let her kind of see kind of like a um, Minority Report style sort of like grid that only she could see, and I remember her. She improved on the day. Oh my god, I'm like Tom Cruise, and I was like, we have to keep that in. That's so adorable that this like kind of like behind the desk like secretary who's never been out in the field. Like, yeah, she would feel like she's Tom Cruise in this moment. That's so like relatable, um, and yeah, I think. I think because we know those other big action movies or yeah, they exist. It always feels like as comedy people, you're trying to do something different. It's like, we're trying to comment on it or we're trying to tell it from like a new perspective. But I think sometimes.
0: <laughs> they, they want you to still do it as do well it. as the people who do that do. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. you just want to be like, I'm sketching it in and it's the, the beats and you know what the beats are. So don't make me like. Spend too much time on this because it doesn't matter.
2: Totally. Um, yes. Yes. Which is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I'm realizing
2: I should probably not do any more genre mashups. Um, <laughs> are yeah. you?
0: Are any of your things right now genre mashups?
2: Uh, n- no, no. I'm realizing they're not. Whew. Okay. Whew. Wow.
0: So then you've learned something. There you go. <laughs> I
2: don't mean, write sexy it, things and don't do. <laughs>
0: But you've now developed a lot of you've, you've developed a bunch of things at this point. Um, Yeah.
2: It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: Do you feel like you've learned (laughs) things that like general, generalizable things about writing pilots or pitching or selling or writing pilots?
2: I think, I think I've learned a few things. Yeah. Um, Such as the one, because this was my first experience. One thing, A lot of things I learned off this experience, one was never feel pressure that a deadline is actually real and never turn in something when you're not ready. And I was green and I did that on this project and I turned in like a really rough draft that I should not have turned in to the pod and it scared them, like rightly so. Like it just wasn't ready at all to be read by anyone else. It was like 50 pages long for a half hour like, that's mm. insane. Yeah, um, that's
0: your that's your rough
2: draft. That's my rough draft. And I didn't know any better to say I need another week or I need a weekend. I just thought, well, it has to be this day because everyone's told me that it's this day. So that's one thing I would say if any listeners out there <laughs> don't turn in. And I've realized people don't care when it's late. If it's so good, they don't care if it's two days late, if it's a week late. Um because, uh, yeah, uh, I, so that would be one thing is that deadlines are all fake. I've learned even even ones that feel really real, like even from the network, I've noticed they can move if if they need to move. Yeah. Uh, so I've gotten better about saying, hey, I need more time. You gave me a bunch of notes. <laughs> I got to figure a bunch of stuff out. I used to think that was like a sign of weakness and you're not allowed to say that. And now I've realized, oh no, it's okay. If you get a ton of notes, it's a page one rewrite, you're allowed to say, this is gonna take a second to to do what you're asking me to do. I thought that was something you weren't ever allowed to ask for. Um, And then I would say, another thing I've learned is uh, there's a lot of over-concepting that can happen to something really pure, I've noticed. Like usually at the germination phase or the pitch phase, The idea is that, like, maybe it's purest form and it's maybe the cleanest and the simplest in a good way. And during the development process, inevitably things get layered onto it and more complicated, and that usually muddies what was maybe a very clean premise. And so, I've learned to like protect that cleanliness, that simplicity of like what is the DNA and what made you excited about it and what made them buy it. Um, because I've just noticed in every process, no matter what buyer I'm with, uh, there's new, it's like over concepts, the concepts, or like new premises get put on top of another premise. And then suddenly you have like eight premises (laughs) that you're trying to service. (laughs) Um, And so that's maybe one thing I've learned too, uh, is that it's also okay to say, I think this is what got us all excited about this. Like, Let's not lose the North Star of the project. Uh, just because like this type of show is doing well right now that's the other thing trends that like trying to like jump and make your thing on trend (laughs) the trend's gonna change so fast i've learned also that game is silly i know Uh,
0: you could start off trying to make it more ted lasso and now you have to make (laughs) it more squid game and oh my god And that's just it just doesn't work that way those both worked because they were not they were not like other things, you know, in the moment. So yeah, that's definitely, those are, those are good lessons.
2: Oh, good. At least (laughs) I've learned something. (laughs) No,
0: it's really, it's really smart. I think, um, development is tough on people pleasers.
2: It is. It is. I think, especially because when you're, I feel like I'm still proving myself all the time, like just in, And so I think every notes call, every story area, it can feel so small or like not important. But to me, I feel like it's putting my best face forward. I want to make sure everyone's happy. But then I've also realized when you make everybody happy, no one is happy. Um, And so sometimes you have to pick who you're going to make happy. And usually that's the person that's going to make the decision that you're hoping but um, at the end of the day, also, you kind of have to just write what makes you happy because that's gonna shine through ultimately. I know it's so cheesy to say that. But no, I know it's, it's totally true. true.
0: And you get no points for being nice. like you and being e- e- easy to work with, like you get the point if you're staffing, yeah you know, look like Kenya, it was just like John and Ted and I when you mm-hmm. came in, like we saw something and Kenya so it's just like, okay. This is a room and the dynamic in that room is important. Here's someone like you were definitely someone who's like, this is going to be a fun person to be in a room with. You get points there. But when you're developing, you don't get any points. You could be a complete asshole like during that whole process. But if it's really good, that's all that's going to matter. And, and I'm the same way. It's just like, I just want everyone to be happy. I want to make everyone happy. It's just like, I want them to feel like I was, I cooperated and, and it's just like it doesn't get you (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: because you like you want to be asked back I think because it's such a marathon and you know this career like you're trying to make it as long as possible and you're like I know I only got like 15 more years (laughs) like or whatever it is like and so yeah but you're right no one ever at the end of the day is like but you were so nice and took all of our notes that's the other thing (laughs) I think I've learned is that you don't have to take every note that doesn't actually mean that you're nice (laughs) yeah like it's yeah. also okay, and people are going to forget. And if they liked what they read, they don't care um, that they gave. I always think they
0: kind of lose respect for you if you take all the notes. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't I that's think true. you're right.
2: I think yeah, I think you're right because I think they want to feel as though someone is driving this huge ship forward. And I think the more you can make people feel that, the better. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then, yeah. Well, it's it, I I've really harassed you for so long to to get to read this pilot. And it was always it great. I it was, it was like, no, oh, no, it's still live. Okay, good. It, I know, it's know. so
2: crazy. There was, like, yeah. three times where it was, like, ABC Studios said, like, let's do it. And then, like, it almost happened at Quibi. And then, you know, like, there were so many, like, it's like you're a real zombie. It never really dies. It just I know. Coming. So, yes, yeah, this is so look, nice that we finally got to do there's, this.
0: There's hope for it still. Hopefully That's someone true. out there hears how good this is. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it's yet another life because I just – I loved hearing it. Um, I loved getting to talk to you. you. uh, Oh my gosh.
2: Thank you so much. I think what you're doing for writers is just such a nice gift. I just want to say that. Um, I think resurrecting people's projects that kind of just sit in a dusty file and a folder, I would say shelf, but not anymore, just (laughs) (laughs) on a weird thumb drive somewhere. It's really nice. It's it's a really beautiful thing you're doing. You're like bringing things to life that otherwise would never really get heard. So it's It's fun. Yeah.
0: We like I like doing it. Um, well thanks so much Lindsay, thanks Thank for letting you. us read it. Oh,
2: thanks so much. This was a blast.
0: I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. Like I said before, if you like this show, please leave us a review, tell a friend. It really helps. You can follow us on social media. To find out all the latest, we're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. All right, everybody, we will be back next month with another great pilot. We keep doing what we're doing, uh, and we keep getting better at it. So I'm glad you're you're here with us. Um, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I am
1: Andrew Reich.
2: MaximumFun.org.
1: Comedy and culture. Artist-owned, audience-supported.